Okay, social behavior time, six thinking. Social behaviors involve interactions with others, so this may flow from positive feelings or from negative feelings. So individuals liking each other is called interpersonal attraction, and humans are attracted to individuals with certain body proportions approximating the golden ratio. We tend to like people who are similar to us in attitude, intelligence, education, height, age, religion, appearance, and socioeconomic status. And another component of attraction lies in the opportunity for self-disclosure or sharing one's fears, thoughts, and goals with another person being met with non-judgmental empathy. Reciprocal liking is the phenomenon whereby people like others better when they believe the other person likes them. Proximity is just being physically close to someone and it plays a factor in our attraction. And there's the mere explosion of exposure effect or familiarity effect with the tendency for people to prefer stimuli that have, they have been exposed to more frequently. Regression is designed as, defined as a behavior that intends to cause harm or increase with dominance. So it can be physical and nonverbal. Um, the purpose of it is to offer protection against perceived and real threats, access to resources, additional territory, or mates. Um, the amygdala is the part of the brain that's responsible for associating stimuli and the corresponding rewards or punishments, so responsible for telling us whether or not something is a threat. And aggression is also under hormonal control, so higher levels of testosterone are linked to more aggressive behaviors. And studies have also found many psychological and situational predictors of aggression, so the cognitive human association model states that we are more likely to respond to others aggressively when we're feeling negative emotions like being tired, sick, frustrated, or in pain. And there's also exposure to violent behavior that contributes to aggressive behavior. Attachment is an emotional bond between a caregiver and a child that begins to develop during infancy. So emotional bonds can occur with any caregiver who's sensitive and responsive during social interaction. Um, so Mary Ainsworth expounded on a theory saying that infants need a secure base, which is a caregiver who's consistent, available, comforting, and responsive. Um, secure attachment is seen when a child has a consistent caregiver and able to go out and explore, knowing that he or she has a secure base to return to. Um, attachment types are known as insecure attachment when children are avoidant, ambivalent, or disorganized when they have deficits in their social skills. Avoidant attachment results when the caregiver has little or no response to a distressed child, and the children will show no preference between stranger and caregiver, and they show little, little or no distress when the caregiver leaves, and no relief when they return. Ambivalent and oh my goodness, I cannot pronounce anything today. Ambivalent attachment occurs when a caregiver has an inconsistent response to a child's distress, so sometimes they respond appropriately, sometimes neglectfully. The child's unable to form a secure base and they'll be very distressed and separation on separation and a mixed response when they return, which is also referred to as anxious or ambivalent attachment because they're always anxious about the reliability of the caregiver. And then disorganized attachment is no clear pattern of behavior. Um, they can show a mix, which is including avoidance, resistance, seeming dazed, frozen, confused, or repetitive behaviors like rocking. And there's erratic behavior and social withdrawal by the caregiver and might be a red flag for abuse. So next we have social support, which is a perception or reality that one is cared for by a social network. It can be divided into emotional, esteem, material, informational, and network support. Um, emotional support is listening, affirming, and empathizing with someone's feelings. Esteem support is similar, but touches more directly on affirming the qualities and skills of a person, reminding them they, what they possess to tackle a problem can bolster confidence. 
material support or tangible support is any type of financial or material contribution to another person. Informational support refers to providing information that will help someone. And network support is a type of social support that gives a person a sense of belonging, which can be physically or accomplished through gestures, group activities, and shared experiences. Um, social support helps reduce psychological distress and um, prevents like, mental disorders, drug use, suicidal ideation. Um, and immunological health is also supported by strong social support. So then we have neurological corollaries to social behaviors. So the behavior of foraging or seeking and eating food is driven by biological, psychological, and social influences. So hunger is driven by complex pathway, including neurotransmitters and hormones, which is controlled in the hypothalamus. Uh, the lateral hypothalamus promotes hunger, which is while the ventral medial hypothalamus responds to cues that we are full and promotes satiety, so damage to the lateral hypothalamus will cause a person to lose all interest in eating, while damage to the ventral medial hypothalamus will result in obesity. Foraging is impacted by genetics as well, um, and cognitive skills play a role in the success of both solitary and group foraging, so like spatial awareness, memory, decision making. Uh, mating system describes the organization of a group's sexual behavior. So mating systems seen among animals include monogamy, which is exclusive mating relationship, polygamy, which is a male having exclusive relationships with multiple females, polygyny, or free love with multiple males, which is polyandry. Promiscuity is referring to a member of one sex mating with a member of the opposite sex without exclusivity. Um, and in most species, there's one dominant mating system, but humans are more flexible. Mate choice or intersexual selection is a selection of a mate based on attraction. Mate bias refers to how choosing members of the species are while choosing a mate. Mate carry direct benefits by providing material advantages, protection, or emotional support, or indirect benefits by promoting better survival and offspring. Um, so there's five recognized mechanisms of mate choice. There's phenotypic benefits, so observable traits that make a potential mate more attractive to the opposite sex, so increased production and survival of the offspring. Sensory bias. Um, there is development of a trait to match a pre-existing preference that exists in the population. Uh, Fisherian or runaway selection, a, possible, a positive feedback mechanism in which a particular trait has no effect or negative effect on survival, becomes more and more exaggerated over time. So it's sexually desirable and it's more likely to pass on. And then there's indicator traits, which is traits that signify overall good health and well-being of an organism, increasing its attractiveness to mates, so they may or may not be genetic. And then there's humanic compatibility, which is the creation of mate pairs that, when combined, have complementary genetics. And it provides a mechanism for the reduced frequency of recessive genetic disorders in the population, because attraction will reduce the probability of offspring. Um, altruism is a form of helping behavior in which the individual's intent is to benefit another at some cost to the self. So it can be motivated by selflessness, egoism, or ulterior motives. Empathy is the ability to vicariously experience the emotions of another and is thought by some social psychologists to have a strong influence on helping behavior. And the empathy-altruism hypothesis is one explanation for the relationship between empathy and helping behavior. So one person helps another when they feel empathy for the other one, regardless of the cost. There's game theory, which explains decision-making behavior. Um, used in economics and mathematics to predict interaction based on game characteristics, including strategy, winning and losing, rewards and punishments, and profits and cost. The evolutionary stable strategy is um, how game payoffs refer to fitness. Um, so when an ESS is adopted by a given population in a specific environment, natural selection will prevent alternative strategies from arising, and the strategies are just... Thus, inherited traits pass along the population with the object of the game being becoming more fit than competitors. So there's the hawk-dove game as an example. Um, using access to shared food resources in each round, one player chooses one of two strategies, hawk or dove. 
pocket fighter aggression and fighting until they win or injured, and then dove is fight avoidance, displaying aggression, then retreating. So the three potential outcomes is to basically just see what can happen, and it shows um, ethical, or and it represents pure competition between individuals and social influences. So there's four possible alternatives. So there's altruism, the donor provides a benefit to the recipient at a cost to him or herself. Cooperation, both benefit by cooperating. Spite, both are negatively impacted. And selfishness, selfishness, oh my gosh, selfishness. The donor benefits while the recipient is negatively impacted. Um, and then there's inclusive fitness, which is a measure of an organism's success in the population based on the number of offspring, success in supporting the offspring, and ability of the offspring to help support others. Um, then we are going to move on to social perception, which is also called as social cognition. It provides the tools to make judgments and impressions regarding other people. Um, and then there are attributions, which are explanations for the causes of a person's actions. So there's three primary components of social perception, the perceiver, target, and situation. Perceiver is influenced by experience, motives, and emotional state. Target refers to the person about which the perception is made, and situation is important in developing developing perception, so a, give, a given social context can determine what information is available to the perceiver. We have um, a discussion of impression bias. So our model of social perception focuses on our selection of cues to form interpretations of others that are consistent over time. Um, when a perceiver comes into contact with an unfamiliar target, he or she takes in all the cues from the target and the environment unfiltered and they become more familiar. They use these cues to categorize the target, friend versus enemy, caring versus standoffish, open-minded versus bigoted, so on. So perception of additional cues becomes selective to paint a picture of the target that's already consistent with the perception that the perceiver has already made, which is called the primacy effect. So first impressions are more important than subsequent impressions. And then it's also the most recent information that we have about an individual that is the most important in forming our impressions, which is known as the recency effect. Um, the reliance on central traits is that idea that individuals organize the perception of others based on traits and personal characteristics that are most relevant to them. Um, the categories that we place others in during impression formation is based on implicit personality theory, which states that there are sets of assumptions based on people which and how they make or how different types of people, their traits, and their behavior are related. And then making assumptions about people based on the category in which they are placed is known as stereotyping. Then we have the halo effect, which is a cognitive bias in which judgments about a specific aspect of an individual can be affected by one's overall impression of the individual, like the tendency to allow a general impression to influence other more specific evaluations. Then there's the just world hypothesis, which is another cognitive bias during impression formation. It's in which a so-called just world has good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. Um, then there's the self-serving bias or the self-serving attributional bias, and it can skew self-identity and perception because it refers to the fact that individuals credit their own success to internal factors and blame their failures on external factors. Um, self-enhancement focuses on the need to maintain self-worth and can be accomplished in part by the self-serving bias and self-verification suggests that people will seek the companionship of others who see them as they see themselves, thereby validating a person's self-serving bias. Um, and the tendency to attribute good outcomes to our good traits is a way to protect our self-esteem. Um, and let's see. 
There's also in-group and out-group bias. So in-group bias refers to the inclination to view members in one group more favorably, and out-group refers to the inclination to view individuals outside one's group harshly. Um, there's also attribution theory, which is how individuals infer the causes of other people's behavior. Um, there's two main categories of attribution, so dispositional or internal, which are those that relate to the person whose behavior is being considered, including his or her beliefs, attitudes, and personality characteristics. And then there's situational or external attributions, which are those that relate to features of the surroundings, like threats, money, social norms, and peer pressure. Um, so they consider the characteristics of the social context rather than the characteristics of the individual as the primary cause for situational attributions. Um, then there are cues, which is the way that we understand the behaviors of others. So there's consistency cues. They refer to the behavior of a person over time. Consensus cues relate to the extent to which a person's behavior differs from others. And then distinctiveness cues refers to the extent to which a person engages in similar behavior across a series of scenarios. The correspondent inference theory takes this concept another step further by focusing on the intentionality of others' behavior. So when an individual unexpectedly performs a behavior that helps or hurts this, we tend to explain the behavior by dispositional attribution. Um, then we have the fundamental attribution error, which posits that we are generally biased towards making dispositional attributions rather than situational attributions when judging the actions of others. Attribute substitution occurs when individuals must make judgments that are complex, but instead they substitute a simpler solution or apply a heuristic, which means um, an individual may address a different question or a scenario without even realizing a substitution has been made. It can take place in simple setups or complex setups. Um, yeah. And then another important factor in attribution is culture. So the type of culture an individual belongs to plays a major role. Um, individual cultures like Anglo-American and Anglo-Saxon will put high value on individual personal goals and independence, whereas collectivists will put high value on conformity and interdependence. Yada yada. So now we are going to work on stereotypes, prejudice, and discrimination. So stereotypes refer to the expectations, impressions, and opinions um, about the characteristics of members of a group. Prejudice refers to the overall prejudice reflects the overall attitude and emotional response to a group, and discrimination refers to differences in actions towards different groups. Um, so stereotypes are fundamentally necessary to everyday life. They make sense of a complex world by categorizing and systematizing information to better understand, identify items, predict their behavior, and react. Um, but if you use stereotypes to develop prejudices, then that's the wrong use. Stereotypes occur when attitudes and impressions are based on limited and superficial information about a person or group or individuals. Um, the content are the attributes that people believe define and characterize a group. So the stereotype content model attempts to classify stereotypes with respect to a hypothetical in-group using two dimensions, warmth and competence. Warm groups are those that are not in direct competition with the in-group for resources, and competent groups are those that have high status within society. So there's four possible, um, basically, outcomes. So there's with high warmth and low competence, there's the paternalistic stereotype. So the group is looked down upon as inferior, dismissed, or ignored. There is high warmth, high competence, which is the admiration stereotype, which is when the group is viewed with pride and other positive feelings. Low warmth, low competence is contemptuous stereotypes, which is where the group is viewed with resentment, annoyance, or anger, and then low warmth, high competence is envious stereotype. So those in the group are viewed with jealousy, bitterness, or distrust. Distrust. Um, stereotypes can lead to expectations, and these expectations can create conditions that can cause the expectations to become a reality, which is 
known as a self-fulfilling process prophecy. Then there is stereotype threat. So in some social situations, a person might be concerned or anxious about inadvertently confirming a negative stereotype about their social group. Um, and the feeling of stereotype threat can often result in a self-fulfilling prophecy. So then we can look at prejudice. So that's an irrational, positive, or negative attitude toward a person, group, or thing. So prior to an actual experience with that entire entity. Um, so socialization results in formation of attitudes regarding our own groups and the sense of identity as an individual and a group member. And prejudice can form in response to dissimilarities. Um, Propaganda is a common way by which large organizations and political groups attempt to create prejudices in others, so they invoke messages of fear, depictions of the target group as exaggerated to an absurd degree. And then there is a variety of social factors that influence prejudice, so power refers to the ability of people or groups to achieve their goals despite any obstacles and their ability to control resources. There's prestige, which is the level of respect shown to a person by others, and then there's class, which is referring to socioeconomic status. Um, social inequality or the unequal distribution of power, resources, money, or prestige can result in the grouping of haves and have-nots. Have-nots may develop negative attitude towards haves based on envy, and haves may develop negative attitude toward have-nots as a defense mechanism to justify the fact that they have more. There's ethnocentrism, which is a practice of making judgments about other cultures based on the values and beliefs of one's own culture. Uh, there is cultural relativism, which is a recognition that social groups and cultures should be studied on their own terms. And it acknowledges that the values, mores, and rules make sense in the context of that culture and should not be judged against the norms of another culture. There's discrimination when prejudicial attitudes cause individuals of a particular group to be treated differently from others. So discrimination is a behavior while prejudice is an attitude. Um, prejudice, prejudice doesn't always have to result in discrimination also. And discrimination can be individual or institutional. So individual is one person discriminating against one person discriminating against another particular person or group and institutional is the discrimination against a particular person or group by an entire institution. So individual is conscious and obvious and can be removed by the person who's displaying it. Um, and yeah, we can go into concept summary now. So starting off with social behavior, interpersonal attraction is what makes people like each other and is influenced by multiple factors. Physical attractiveness, which is increased with symmetry and proportions close to the golden ratio. Similarity of attitudes, intelligence, education, height, age, religion, appearance, and socioeconomic status. Self-disclosure, which includes sharing fears, thoughts, and goals with another person and being met with empathy and non-judgment. Reciprocity, in which we like people who we think like us. Proximity, or being physically close to someone. Aggression, which is a physical, verbal, or non-verbal behavior with the intention to cause harm or increase social dominance. Attachment, which is an emotional bond to another person and refers to the bond between a child and a caregiver. Um, there's four types of attachment. So there's secure attachment, consistent caregiver, so the child is able to go out and explore, knowing he or she has a secure base to return to. The child will show strong preference for the caregiver. There's avoidant attachment, when a caregiver has little or no response to a distressed crying child and the child shows no preference for them compared to strangers. Ambivalent attachment when a caregiver has been inconsistent response to a child's distress, which responds appropriately or sometimes neglectfully. The child will become distressed when the caregiver leaves and is ambivalent when he or she returns. And then there's disorganized attachment, which is when a caregiver is erratic or abusive and the child shows no clear pattern of behavior in response to the caregiver's absence or presence and may show repetitive behaviors. Social support is a perception or reality that one is cared for by a social network. Emotional support includes listening to, affirming, and empathizing with someone's feelings. Esteem support affirms the qualities and skills of the person. Material support is providing physical or monetary resources to aid a person. 
Informational support is providing useful information to a person, and network support is providing a sense of belonging to a person. Foraging is searching for and exploiting food resources. Mating system describes the way in which a group is organized in terms of sexual behavior. Monogamy is exclusive mating relationship. Polygamy is one member of a sex having multiple exclusive relationships with members of the opposite sex, including polygyny or polyandry, females, multiple females versus multiple males. Promiscuity allows a member of one sex to mate with any member of the opposite sex without exclusivity. Then there's mate choice or intersexual selection, which is a selection of a mate based on attraction and traits. Altruism is a form of helping behavior in which the person's intent is to benefit someone else at some cost to him or herself. Game theory attempts to explain decision-making between individuals as if they're participating in a game, and inclusive fitness is a measure of an organism's success in the population. Based on the number of offspring, success in supporting the offspring, and the ability of the offspring to then, to then support others. We'll go into social perception and behavior. So social perception or social cognition is the way by which we generate impressions about people in our social environment. It contains a perceiver, their target, and the situation or social context of the scenario. Implicit personality theory states that people make assumptions about how different types of people, their traits, and their behavior are related. Certain cognitive biases impact our perceptions of others. So the primacy effect is when first impressions are more important than subsequent impressions, but the recency effect is when the most recent information we have about an individual is most important in forming our impressions. Reliance on central traits is a tendency to organize the perception of others based on traits and personal characteristics that matter to the perceiver. Halo effect is when judgments of an individual's character can be affected by the overall impression of the individual. Trust world hypothesis is the tendency of individuals to believe that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. Karma. Self-serving bias really refers to the fact that individuals will view their own successes as being based on internal factors and viewing failures as due to external factors. Attribution theory focuses on the tendency for individuals to infer the causes of other people's behavior, so dispositional or internal causes are those that relate to the features of the person whose behavior is being considered, and situational or external causes are related to features of the surroundings or social context. There is correspondent interference theory, which is used to describe the attributions made by observing the intentional or unexpected behaviors performed by another person. There is the fundamental attribution error, which is a bias towards making dispositional attributions rather than situational attributions in regard to the attributes of others. And then there's attribute substitution, which is when individuals must make judgments that are complex but substitute a simpler solution or heuristic. Attributions are highly influenced by the culture in which one resides. So then there's stereotypes, prejudice, and discrimination. So stereotypes occur when attitudes and impressions are made based on limited and superficial information about a person or group of individuals. Stereotypes can lead to expectations of certain groups, which create conditions that lead to confirmation of the stereotype, known as a self-fulfilling prophecy. Stereotype threat is a concern or anxiety about confirming a negative stereotype about one social group. Prejudice is defined as an irrational, positive, or negative attitude toward a person, group, or thing prior to an actual experience. Ethnocentrism refers to the practice of making judgments about other cultures based on the values and beliefs of one's own culture. Cultural relativism refers to the recognition that social groups and cultures should be studied on their own terms. Discrimination is when prejudicial attitudes cause individuals of a particular group to be treated differently from others. And individual discrimination refers to one person against a particular person or group, while institutional is the discrimination against a particular person or group by an entire institution. Okay, next time will be social structure and demographics of the